Maths and science are core subjects in New Zealand schools, but in recent years our children have been doing poorly in international tests. They seem to know less than they did a decade ago, and few developed countries have lower scores. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme investigates what's behind the slump and what's being done to improve the situation. Name two things electricity can be used for in daily life. Troy lives in a house on square C4. Put an X in the square to show where Troy lives. One of these angles is a right angle. Which one? Darren this term, 10,000 New Zealand school children are answering questions like this for the trends in international mathematics and science study. The results are entirely academic. They mean nothing for the Year 5 and Year 9 children sitting the test. But they're a useful measure of how well our children compare to their peers in other countries and to previous cohorts of young New Zealanders. For the past 10 years, those comparisons have not been favourable. I'm John Gerritsen, and this insight asks why New Zealand school children have been doing worse in maths and science, and whether this year's crop of young test sitters will turn things around. Try and come up with a list of characteristics or features for things that are living and things that are not living. Go for it. Science and maths are widely regarded as critical subjects. But these year nines have mixed views about them. Maths is my favourite subject. Yeah, it's not really my favourite. Of course, science is. Yeah, I love science. Probably my favourite subject. Yeah, I quite like maths. Yeah, most of maths. <laughs> I don't like maths. When I just look at numbers, just jumbles. The trend study is held every four years. Its benchmark is not the average score, but a midpoint of 500 points, which remains unchanged so country scores can be compared from test to test. The last time New Zealand children were tested was in 2010 and 2011, when Year 5 scored below the midpoint in both maths and science, and Year 9 scored above it in science, but got their lowest score ever, 488 points, in maths. Only a few developed nations had lower scores. Generally, New Zealand children did best at questions about data, chance and earth science. The direction water flows in a river depends on A, the length of the river, B, the slope of the land, C, the type of rock over which the water flows, D, the location of the North Pole. But they performed worst on questions about chemistry, algebra, geometry and some basic number problems. 5,631 plus 286 equals what? Children from this country were generally better at questions that required them to apply their knowledge or solve problems, and worse at those which required them to show they knew particular concepts or facts. Last year delivered more bad news about achievement, when the results of the Programme and International Student Assessment, or PISA, indicated our 15-year-olds are doing worse in reading, maths and science. And it's not just international studies that have picked up a problem. The National Education Monitoring Project, or NEMP, ran from 1995 to 2009 and was succeeded in 2012 by the National Monitoring Study of Student Achievement, which reported for the first time last year. Otago University's Alison Gilmore is in charge of the study and she says in the 14 years the monitoring programme ran, maths and science were the only areas where it found real drops in performance. Alison Gilmore says children's number skills declined between the 1997 and 2003 assessments and the study found a possible reason why. One of the findings in that study was that there was a dramatic drop in the percentage of children who were practising the routines or maths tables and mathematics. 
Alison Gilmore says the other drop was in science achievement in 2007. That year's study also found a drop in practical science activities in the classroom and a drop in children's enjoyment of the subject. The interesting contradiction there was that students also wanted to learn more about science. So students tend to like science that involve practical activities, undertaking experiments, um, using scientific instruments, etc. But the amount of such practical activities that they were experiencing in school had declined between 1999 and 2007. Alison Gilmore says the new national monitoring study of student achievement in 2012 found primary school children still have little opportunity to actually do science. She says the study has calculated how much children progress in a subject using a measure known as effect size. A year's learning should result in an effect size of 0.3. So looking at um, the year 4 sample and the year 8 sample, we found in science that on average the effect size was 0.28. What we found for writing, for instance, though, was an effect size of 0.36. In short, New Zealand schools are much more effective at teaching writing than teaching science. And in both science and maths, our children are not doing as well as they used to. Some secondary school teachers say they're noticing a difference. I have taught English, social studies and maths in the time I've been here and I'm now just teaching maths. Because Catherine Burnett has been a teacher for 33 years and for nine years was the president of the Wellington branch of the Association of Maths Teachers. She says 13-year-olds are arriving at high school with reasonable maths knowledge, though they're weak in algebra. Their number knowledge and their number strategies are pretty sound, but I think because so much time has been taken with the numeracy project, it has meant that other strands, algebra in particular, has not been given as much attention. And algebra is one of the biggies when they come to college. Geometry still comes through as being strong. It's a subject that boys like, which is good. You know, it's a branch of maths that they like. Mark Patterson has been a maths teacher for 30 years and is now a maths advisor based in Palmerston North. He's another who's noticed a drop in the maths ability of children entering secondary school. Overall, the type of things that I'd expect them to know at Year 9, they're not as strong as at as they used to be. What sort of things should they know at Year 9? One of the biggest things is to have an idea of estimation, to have a sense of what is going to be a useful answer and what's not going to be a reasonable answer. Basic facts are always important, um, and relative size of numbers. The head of science at Onslow College, Terry Burrell, says she hasn't been tracking whether children are any better or worse at science than they used to be. But she says many are arriving at secondary school under the impression they haven't done science before. So what we are presenting them with is often very novel as far as they're concerned. I'm sure they have done science. They've been doing it since they were um, playing in the soap suds at kindergarten, but they don't recognise it as science. So what's going wrong? Palmerston North maths advisor Mark Patterson is loath to apportion blame for the change, but suggests there's a general shortage of teachers who are passionate about maths and competent at teaching it. One of the things would be to make sure that mathematics teaching was seen as a, a valuable and useful thing for, for people to do, so that might need to change back at the teacher training side of things. I think that teachers need to um, be resourced to learn what they need to learn 
as well. Mark Patterson also says secondary schools need to spend more time with their younger students. The senior secondary programme seems to suck a lot of energy out of teachers. So dealing with the um, demands of years 11, 12 and 13 sometimes means that teachers and departments don't have the same time and effort to put into year 9 and 10. But Catherine Burnett argues the biggest impact on young people's maths performance is their attitude. It's not necessarily that they're getting worse and it's certainly nothing to do with what they're being taught or how they're being taught. I think it's an attitudinal thing, that they at primary school are prepared to give things a go. When they get to college, they start getting this attitude of it's either too hard or it's boring or when am I ever going to use this. And that attitude has become more common or more prevalent? More, much more prevalent in the last few years where students want instant gratification because of the internet and because the calculator does the work for them. They often cannot approximate because of that. And as one teacher said to me, they want the answers now and preferably they want the answers from the teacher, which is, does sum up some students just not prepared to put in the hard yards. Yes. Okay, that sounds like, oh dear, kids are getting lazier. Um, not lazy, just wanting things to be instant. In science, Onslow College's Terry Burrell points to a report published several years ago that identified some problems. Certainly the um, Prime Minister's Science Advisor and, and his findings have suggested that there's a gap at primary level in teaching the fundamentals of science and the, the way of thinking scientifically. So it may well be that lack of confidence, lack of general background scientific literacy amongst primary science teachers means that there are some gaps there that uh, we're inheriting. The Education Review Office also has some answers. The Review Office monitors the nation's classrooms and it's specifically reported on maths and science teaching in 2012. OK, can you show me there? Show me, yeah, you've done a drawing. Stephanie Graney is the manager of evaluation services and says the review found two-thirds of primary schools are not teaching science well. They're not getting much science. They may get one um, science topic a year or they may get science that they've already learnt last year. So there's no real coherence in how many topics they do or whether the, the child would already know the concepts. The other part that we did find was that um, in some cases teachers have not understood the scientific concept that they're even trying to teach. Stephanie Graney says some teachers complained the introduction of national standards in reading, writing and maths meant they had less time for science. She says that means teachers need training in how to teach literacy and numeracy through science. Stephanie Graney says the other big problem is the growing use of inquiry learning involving research on the internet, but very little practical work. Inquiry learning is fabulous. They, the children do go online, they learn how to find things out, but it's not nearly as good for children, and especially for boys, when you're having to get out the light bulb and get the batteries out and get the, the thermometers out and do the things where you actually stop and, and test what you, your thinking is and change your thinking from an actual reality. In maths, the review office made two main findings in 2012. Stephanie Graney says the first involved asking who teaches the students who are struggling the most. We found that 50% of schools had teacher aides helping with maths. So teacher aides were in some cases supporting the whole class, but in many cases they were teaching the children 
that were the furthest behind. So the hardest to teach children were being taught by the teacher aid in maths. And we said that's not going to be really helpful. The, the classroom teacher is the best one to teach, the, the hardest to teach. Stephanie Graney says the other big problem with maths teaching is grouping students according to their ability. It's a practice some teachers say makes their job easier and ensures children are getting work that matches their ability. But Stephanie Graney says it's a problem. The child that's constantly in that bottom class does not see themselves as a successful maths learner. They turn off, they don't have success, it just builds more non-success. The second issue is that in actual fact these children are not being exposed to the full curriculum. They learn only a part of the curriculum one year and then they get tested the next year over the full curriculum and consequently they fail again and it's a self-perpetuating style. And in the PISA 2012 report They've actually identified that many of our children in the low income bracket have not been exposed to lots of the maths concepts. So how can these children succeed when they're not even exposed to that part of the curriculum? Glenda Anthony is another who opposes the use of ability grouping. She's the co-director of Massey University's Centre for Research in Maths Education. Professor Anthony says ability grouping is okay sometimes, but used too much, it causes permanent harm to the children at the bottom of the heap. Reliance on ability grouping is sending, especially for young children, is sending messages about fixed ability. And unfortunately for those who are in the green table or the blue table, a message that they can't do maths. And if they receive that message over a period of time, they really start to believe that they will be no good at maths and that affects their future outlook. But Professor Anthony says that doesn't mean group workers out. In fact, she and her colleague in Auckland, Bobby Hunter, have found it works well if children of different abilities are put together and given the right sort of tasks to complete. We've had some studies that we've done in schools in Auckland where achievement levels have gone up quite dramatically and currently Bobby Hunter is working um, on a contract, Pacifica Success, with uh, quite a large-scale number of schools where we're getting large and fairly rapid changes in achievement levels and teachers are noticing changes in reading scores. Glenda Anthony says it's important that maths is taught well not only because it's a useful skill but also because success or failure in the subject has a big influence on children's perception of themselves. This is an interview that a teacher did as part of an assignment for, for us. She said to the, the 10-year-old girl, why do you need to learn maths? And the 10-year-old said, to get better, but I don't get better. I've done maths for years and I don't get better. So how will maths help you in the future, asked the teacher. To count money, to go to the shops. Not for a job, of course, because I can't do maths. And that is, to me, very very upsetting that 10-year-olds have already decided that maths is not for them, that they cannot do maths, and it's limiting their views of where they'll go in life. And that's really one of the things we want to change. Because maths is, if not taught collaboratively and in a, in a socially responsive way, is one of the subjects which really defines children's perceptions of their ability in schools as being one who can or can't do. Eight, five, three, six, 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 six. What role has the Numeracy Project played in the decline in math scores? It was introduced 14 years ago with a focus on finding different solutions to problems rather than memorising basic facts. 
Mark Patterson agrees that at first glance it might appear to have had little positive impact. If you look at it purely on on PISA and Tim's results, you'd say perhaps it, it hasn't helped. But people that have done the research for the Numeracy Project understand that the idea of getting kids to be multiplicative thinkers is going to benefit them. And if there's been a if there's been a hindrance, it's been in the um, uptake of the project or um, errors lost in the translation of the project between the theory and the practice in the classroom. Mark Patterson says the project helped teachers identify gaps in children's knowledge that had previously gone unnoticed, such as an inability to visualise fractions like two-thirds or one-quarter. Glenda Anthony says the scheme contributed to a rise in the use of ability grouping. But she says the project had very real benefits. The research is very clear that having students find different solutions, listening to children's thinking about how they solve problems is extremely important and valuable. So we don't want to move backwards on that. And she says the project has put maths very much in the limelight in primary schools. I had had students in the past who've done master studies on professional development of teachers, and sometimes only one or two teachers in a in a school over several years even went to any maths professional development. Now every teacher in a school has a really strong invested interest in mathematics, and they have a common language to talk to each other. So maths has been very much put on the spotlight within schools. Magnesium plus sulfuric acid forms magnesium sulfate, hydrogen gas. Socioeconomic and ethnic background are widely thought to have an impact on children's performance, but it's not clear what part they've played, if any, in New Zealand's maths and science decline. Income disparity increased between the mid-1980s and mid-1990s, but New Zealand's highest scores occurred at the tail end of that period. And while the proportion of Māori and Pacifica children has increased, some of the tests show their performance improving, while that of New Zealand European and Asian children dropped. Lisa Rogers is the Deputy Secretary for Evidence, Data and Knowledge at the Education Ministry. She doesn't believe the change in wealth distribution is behind the decline in test scores. No, I don't think so, actually, because I really don't think, uh, I don't necessarily believe uh, that wealth automatically equals achievement. So the things that we need in order for achievement to occur is um, really great teaching. Regardless of the resources at home, you just need great teaching. Um, also good leadership in a, in a system. And yes, you do need those parents and the backing from families around um, expectations and achievement um, and education. If you've got all three of those, then uh, that directly impacts on any effects of poverty. Lisa Rogers says changing demographics might have an influence, but the outlook for improvement is good. We've actually got to look at the, the change in demographic, but we're starting to see those priority groups um, really make quite significant progress. So I don't necessarily believe that um, because the demographic will change, we will have a corresponding decrease in achievement. What we're actually seeing is those particular priority learners are increasing at a faster rate than any other learners in our system. Though the role of out-of-school factors is a bit murky, it seems pretty clear what the main problems are in the classroom. For science, it's largely a case of primary schools sidelining the subject to concentrate on literacy and numeracy, and teachers lacking confidence in the subject. For maths, there's too much ability grouping, and the children who need the most help are not always getting it. There's also been too little emphasis on learning basic facts, 
though teachers say that's been rectified in recent years. What is the correct explanation for why we have day and night on Earth? So whose responsibility is it to change things? Stephanie Graney from the Education Review Office says it's down to all parts of the school sector. It's individual teachers' responsibilities, it's pre-service training and it's ongoing professional learning and development that teachers get. And nobody's saying that's easy. Glenda Anthony says it's not a case of simply telling teachers what to do and it's not just teachers who need to change. Each classroom's different and it's a very complex situation but changing practice that's been embedded for a long time takes time. To teach differently to how you learnt is quite a, quite a challenging process. And also we've got fixed attitudes to maths in society and at home and in parents. And so there's quite a lot of change in the way we think about what it is to learn mathematics society-wise as well. Mark Patterson says New Zealand's system of self-managing schools makes it very difficult to change teaching practice. One of the difficulties, and it's a, it's a difficulty and an advantage for New Zealand, is the decentralised way that our schools work. So there can be a, a great variety of teaching within a school and across different schools. And so I think the challenge is for there to be um, perhaps more directive leadership about what's required, but not to disempower the schools from the system they have at the moment. It's a challenge. Nevertheless, Lisa Rogers from the Education Ministry says a lot of changes have happened that should improve children's performance in maths since the last round of tests. The most obvious, actually, has been the setting of national standards. So what that's done is really shone the spotlight on mathematics. And what that's done is given teachers the opportunity to, to get early indication quite quickly as to which students are not achieving at their curriculum level. So that's been probably the biggest system impact. And that's not all. Lisa Rogers says in 2011 the Ministry introduced a new maths programme for learners who are not doing well, the Accelerated Learning and Maths programme, which has now been used in hundreds of schools. The Ministry also subsidises a postgraduate maths diploma for teachers and provides free online training. However, Lisa Rogers says the greatest potential for change lies with teachers themselves. The content and the innovation and the knowledge around teaching, the art of teaching, is in the heads of our teachers. So we need to be able to unlock that. We need to enable teachers to be talking to, to each other about the curriculum, about what content is expected, about students' performance against that curriculum. Lisa Rogers says helping teachers to do that is everyone's responsibility, not just the ministry's. And she says the government's plan to pay good teachers and principals more to work across groups of schools will make that easier. However, the union representing primary teachers and principals, the Educational Institute, strongly opposes that plan. It says the money would be better spent directly on schools and their students. Nevertheless, the government is going ahead with it, and the collaboration it is expected to foster should help science too. Plants use energy directly from the sun, what do they use the energy from the sun for? A, to make food. But Lisa Rogers concedes that specific efforts by the Ministry to improve science teaching are much more recent. They include providing more science training for existing teachers and those studying to become teachers and more resources for them to use in the classroom. Other organisations have also been working to improve science teaching in primary schools. Swirl it around. 
At Hampton Hill School in Tower, the children are getting hands-on with science, or rather, hands-in, as they dip screens into tubs of mush to make their own paper. Their teacher, Carol Breesman, is a passionate advocate for science and finds ways of including the subject in all sorts of lessons. I find science in music, I find science in maths, we use it, and even how to do a high jump. Um, yeah, and literacy as well is another area that we have a real strong science focus. Carol Breesman recently held a fellowship funded by the Royal Society of New Zealand, which promotes and advances science, technology and the humanities. The Society's Senior Manager for Public Engagement, Richard Malin, says it's been trying to raise the profile of science in schools ever since the National Education Monitoring Project's 2008 report rang alarm bells about science education. We felt that science had become a subject that wasn't being taught in, in a number of primary schools, or if it was being taught, it wasn't being taught sort of commensurate with, it, with its um, role in the, in the New Zealand curriculum as one of the, the learning areas. So. We were very keen at that point to put some emphasis around that and in fact we put in place a program called Advancing Primary Science which was to try and just raise the profile of science in schools. Richard Malin says the society's work and that of others appears to be paying off. Primary schools, yes, I think there has been a, um, a significant change over the last um, six or seven years. I think there has been a lot more um, interest in science and a lot of schools um, and principals have become more interested in, in science teaching and how how we can do that in a more effective way. So actually I feel quite optimistic about, um, certainly in primary schools, that science is becoming more seen as more important and a lot of teachers and principals are keen to get something happening. Well, well that could be seen in the next round of Tim's results? Yeah, it will take a while to come through and I think, you know, anything in education, you know, change takes time and to see a, you know, a significant change in results is never going to be that, that happen in that time frame. The Ministry's Lisa Rogers also doubts there'll be any improvement in science results this year. But she's much more optimistic about maths. Over the last two years I have seen some really encouraging results. There are lots and lots of schools um, that are reporting more accelerated progress, more than I've ever seen to date. So for mathematics I wouldn't be surprised if we saw an increase in maths performance for our year five and our year eights. Well, a beating heart would do it. I don't think it'd be No, 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 not for DNA, just for... Any improvement is too late for the many thousands of children who attended school during the apparent low point in maths and science teaching over the last decade. But fingers will be crossed then that the 10,000 children sitting the maths and science tests this term will show a turnaround. Their results will not be published till next year. When they are, they will either vindicate the work of government and teachers over the last few years or send everyone back to the drawing board looking for new solutions. Is fire living or not? We didn't I'm John Gerritsen and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Sean D. Wilson.